Welcome to the Big Self Podcast, episode five of season four, in which I am the sole host for this episode. So we're going to do it a little bit differently here, because when you don't have a conversation going, it's a little bit different. It's a different vibe. So I am going to cut to the chase here and offer you something of value something that you you clicked this for a very good reason, the idea of applying practical wisdom to form enduring change and how em- emotional mastery plays a big part in this. You know, we don't often really go to the, to the Greeks, to uh, philosophy, when we are talking about some of the change that we see necessary in our clients, we, we use a lot of Enneagram. We've talked a lot about purpose and calling. We've talked a lot about inner work, and we do plan on talking a lot more about what we mean by the inner work. Also, obstacles that get in our way in terms of having open minds and just being willing to learn new things. But today, I wanted to offer in a short and sweet way, this idea of let's just be practical. I want to talk about how emotional mastery and how habits form your character. And with so many distractions in our way, you know, I'm glad you're here there, you know, and it takes a lot of willpower sometimes to, to try to make a little bit of change. We have to muster it up. And no wonder we so often procrastinate the things that we know that we should or could or would do. Shel Silverstein has a short poem called All the Woulda, Coulda, Shouldas Were All Beat by One Little Did. I think that's a paraphrase. But, uh, you know, habits, they will make us or they will break us. And one way or another, this is an interesting way to think about it, habits will deliver results. They'll either be mindful habits or they will be mindless habits. Our focus today then doesn't just come from getting out our calendars and setting proper weekly and daily goals, although Shelly might disagree with that. She's a big believer in her full focus planner, but there is more to the full focus planner that there's intentionality and, you know, strategy than just, you know, getting out that calendar So maybe note to self, I might need to actually get out my calendar a little bit more. But, um, you know, changing your habits, it doesn't come from like understanding the 80-20 rule. It does come from, and also, by the way, before I even get going here, it also isn't about willpower. So, you know, contrary to popular belief, Willpower is not this innate trait that you're either born with or without. It's actually, it's both in the mind and in the body, and it can be compromised by stress, which would also involve sleep deprivation and nutrition, and it can be strengthened through certain practices. So the willpower is in the mind and the body. And researchers and psychologists have have shown us. Uh, and the stress response, it's a reaction 
as we know, as we often say when we talk about burnout, to an external threat, you know, your, your fire alarm going off. And in contrast to that, the willpower like, is a response to a reaction that is an internal conflict. You want to do one thing. You want to have a, a huge lunch. Maybe you want, to, you, you want to have that extra drink. And you know you shouldn't. Or you shouldn't drink at all. You, anything that you know you should do, maybe you should file your taxes. And you're not doing it. You'd rather do nothing. Maybe you should go to the gym, but you'd rather not do it. And so this need for self-control sets into motion a coordinated set of changes in the brain and body that help you resist the temptation and override self-destructive urges or procrastination. And it also, we know this now, it sends extra energy to the brain's prefrontal cortex, that part of our brain that is the most, you know, took the longest time to evolve and is separates us the most from the animals. And all of that is like working real hard in the prefrontal cortex. And it takes energy. Uh, Willpower does. So it does, this doesn't just come from willpower. It comes from the application of principles that elude us because they actually do come from within. And as we all know and resist in our culture, what comes from within is less measurable. It's more subjective. And because of that lack of apparent clarity, we don't, we resist it. We, we don't have open minds to it. Uh, it could be scary when we go within what we find and discover about ourselves. So, and, you know, and there are very real reasons why we've pushed things down into our unconscious, into our shadows. So the key as you form or break habits is the application. That's, it's the outer work. It's because our habits our habits are the actions we repeat again and again and again. And because of that, they do reveal our character. And that is why it's so important to talk about. And you find this, you find this message in all of the ancient Greeks. You find Aristotle really reasoning through this in his ethics and coming up with some fascinating insights and discoveries. We'll put a few things in the show note links if you are able to access those easily enough to um, to aid in what we're talking about here and contribute. You can say you can know who you are through your habits because habits reveal another fascinating aspect of ourselves. They actually reveal our values. Whether we like it or not, they reveal our values. Sometimes we say we help people get clear on their values when they continue to do things that they don't want to do. And we have an inventory and we try to help people get clear on them. One way to get clear on them without having to take an inventory is to evaluate your ongoing habits and routines. So, With this established, 
I think you can't argue that we are effectively what we choose to do. So with each, whatever our actions is, however, however our actions are, with each small repeated action, the choice becomes either easier to maintain with each, you could just say with each time you do something that you're thinking of as a mindful, healthy habit, it usually, generally speaking, becomes a little easier to do the next time. And generally speaking, harder to stop. Uh, especially if the habit has addictive natures to it. You really are making a daily choice. It's almost like a democratic vote. And each day you're voting for certain habits and manifestations of yourself. We like to think we're free to stop any activity uh, or to start one if we're so inclined. But it really is often it's, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's which is a cliche to mean a lot of these things are processes and they can be huge processes. The more that we're buried deep within previously established patterns. So in the end, whether or not it's a science, there certainly is a framework to how we form and maintain habits and whether they're healthy or unhealthy. And, you know, James Clear, I don't think he is original to the idea of the cue, craving, uh, and reward. I think he borrowed that from Duhigg and adopted it from some others, but certainly his book is probably the most well-known right now. And he writes of that four-step pattern, cue, craving, response, and reward is what it is. And he writes that it's the backbone of every habit. And your brain runs through these steps in the same order each time, which is interesting. Cue, you kind of think about it, then you recognize the craving, and then you respond to the craving, and then you experience usually the short-term reward. And our brains are constantly scanning for rewards. And this is actually true. We're not going to go here into the ego, but this is actually true for how the ego, how people get stuck and stay in our personality habits and patterns. It's because our egos are also scanning for the little rewards, even if they're kind of these grim, negative internal rewards that kind of fuels the ego. But cravings, they, you could say in this way, they're the motivational force behind a habit and they lead us to act. So you don't actually, you don't crave the habit itself, but you, you crave the change in the state and the experience that it delivers. So a huge problem for us now is that there are so many short-term immediate rewards to meet the needs of our cravings. The healthcare industry is growing ever more bloated because there are so many people with so many different kinds of addictions that are leading to so many different issues. And we, you know, it's mental health and physical health. So you vote with your actions and your actions emerge from your values. And I call this 
the habit paradox. And it is hard to change your behavior. But I'm going to encourage you that on a daily basis, when you can a little bit more mindfully practice this, you can start making, just be gentle with yourself at first, making one small vote in the direction that you aspire to trend. And eventually you do change. So the key to create, as James Clear does say on this, on this part, the key to creating the good habits and breaking the bad ones is to understand that these laws apply to all habitual patterns. And then so with a lot of frameworks, just being aware of how it's working, just that tiny bit of a little bit more awareness can help you then apply some practical strategies to address the motivations that seem to be deciding these things for us. And it helps us establish what is it really, you can, we can begin to ask that question, what is it really doing for me? Why do I keep looping in something I guess I'm speaking to why do I keep, yeah, mostly I'm speaking to why do I keep doing something I don't want to do? But honestly, too, it really does apply equally to why am I not doing things that I say that I want to do or feel like I need to do? But there is one explanation that explains the pattern very broadly. And we're going to, because we're sticking with Greeks and we're sticking with some philosophy a term that is long used to characterize this experience. It's, it's a Greek word that we trace back to Aristotle, actually, and it's akrasia. We, A-K-R-A-S-I-A, akrasia. And this inability to change, we define this now as basically a state of mind in which someone acts against their better judgment through weakness of will. Your body is staying in the present, getting nickel and dimed with distractions and notifications and sudden urgencies and many stressors. It's hard to stay motivated for long periods of time in what is called the exotelic state, which is only focused on the external rewards. It's not as easy to get our activities into autotelic frameworks, the kind that benefits what you really enjoy doing, are good at, and also get long-term rewards for. See, like you may recognize long-term payoffs for consistent and focused diligence, but your brain is also wanting what's right in front of it in that instant gratification. So it seems when we when you go back to the original and you look at what Aristotle really meant by akrasia, it was a special form of ignorance or just low level functioning. And Aristotle holds that if you are in the special mental condition that he calls practical wisdom and that we're talking about on this episode, then you cannot be, nor will you ever become again an Akratic person. Because he's talking about you have arrived 
at a higher level. And the higher level that you want to get to, we're not really even completely addressing today. We're trying to stay a little bit more practical. Although I will say the one thing that isn't just cognitive behavioral here in this uh, podcast is the idea of also establishing emotional control when forming these habits. So like, here's where we're getting at. If, have you ever wondered, you know, how you do know all these things, you know, all the right things you've listened to podcasts like this. You've read some wonderful books that are full of wisdom and things that you know you can do to unlock your patterns. But for whatever reason, it just glides right off, maybe even just leaving you virtually untouched or only just barely ephemerally. And, you know, what this reminds me of, I feel like there is like a very simple statement that can stick with us when we think about this very issue. It's a a famous quote from Albert Einstein. No problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. That is it just, that, that, that statement is really resonant once it like clicked with me. Because it it really does explain, like, if you've gotten yourself into a certain situation with a certain level of awareness, if you're still in the same level of awareness, why would you expect that you have the capability to now have the sort of inner resources to stop the habit? It actually takes a little bit more of a developed sense of self-awareness and more self-knowledge to be able to assess what you've done, where you've gotten yourself, and now how you can have the self-discipline, the inner capacities and resources to unlock, unwind where you've gotten yourself into. This applies not only on the micro level, this is a collective macro thing for all of humanity too. If you just look at like our, some of our gigantic global problems, uh, just say the oceans are filled with plastic and what are we continuing to do? I mean, there's some clever ways of trying to collect the plastic, but we still seem to be from all, from all evidences doing pretty much the exact same thing with creating loads and loads of plastic that are going to end up in our oceans. And does this necessarily mean that humans are oh so evil? I don't think so. I think it is this very idea that solving the problem at the level of awareness that it was created is not going to be possible. It's going to take a higher level of awareness. And, you know, we even like, you know, Shelly and I have, we've had up until very recently, we've had three teenagers in our house and now we have two teenagers in our house and they'll, they'll, it's amazing the way that they will mirror back to you some of the very language that you've been using that you think, you know, the, like, well, our, 
one, one teenager will say, I know, I know it's all a mindset thing. And just mirroring back to us pretty much any advice that we've said. And yet they, they remain locked in the same struggles. And so I don't know, I guess with teenagers, the case is very well that there is just this unwillingness to change. There is this, I'm going to figure it out for myself. I don't want this overlord telling me what to do. And, and I suppose that that leads us to what we're exploring here right now is what happens when you want to change. And you may even know all the right things to do, and yet you're still finding that nothing sticks. So as we stay with practical wisdom, it is present, according to Aristotle, only in those who possess these ethical virtues. And these ethical virtues are qualities that do require some emotional mastery. And so Aristotle would have called you practically wise, not merely on the basis, certainly of just what you believe or what you know intellectually, but also on the basis of what you do. And you do, again, what you value. So the sort of knowledge that is lost and regained during, say, a bout of acrasia cannot be lost in a person, as he said, who does already possess this practical wisdom. And ordinary persons, low-level grasp of what to do with some new knowledge or inspiration, it loses its motivating power because it was never much of an intellectual accomplishment to begin with. And, and by intellectual, I mean, I don't just mean merely in the head, but I mean, it wasn't fully understood and experienced and therefore it fell off, at least according to the way that he constructs his argument. You may have issues with it, you may be like, no, I fully understood that, uh, that I needed to be working out and exercising. And after a couple of months, there were mitigating circumstances and I didn't continue to do it, but I will come back again. I hope that this doesn't mean that I am, uh, a cratic. and Hey, I hear you. I'm just, uh, I'm talking about how he says, when you are at a certain level, you don't tend to go back. So it wasn't, uh, at the elemental level because maybe it wasn't practiced or practiced long enough, according to his argument. And therefore the learning was incomplete. I think that the point is twofold. First is the theoretical one. And that is for habits to form a higher level character in us for, for our values, the ones that we say we want to, we want to possess, they actually do need to be done in combination with a pursuit of self-knowledge and in this combination with the things that we would say are emotional mastery, like maintaining your composure uh, not being reactive uh, when your triggers seem to be, your, bu your buttons seem to be getting pressed. 
maintaining this calm resilience in the face of anxieties, tragedies, even like the daily irritations that we experience in life. And believe me, I, you know, this is a message for all of us all the time. One of the tests that I kind of do on myself uh, is, is in terms of reactivity and just how composed am I really is when I drive, I am way more aware of, okay, this person just, just did something that put me at risk or was just very rude more often that how am I going to respond? And it's really hard to maintain composure because, you know, for me anyway, I don't know, maybe for some of you it's easier. I hope it is. But I feel like by being passive, I am sort of permitting it or, or saying it was okay what they did. And I want to, there's this part of this impulsive part of me that wants to react and respond and let them know. And so that's one little test I do too. But you know, you can also, when you're, when you're self-observing, you're going to notice these patterns more frequently. When you get a bill that you feel like is outrageously too high or something that like just triggers some stress If you've been practicing a little bit, maybe forming a little bit of a habit of self-observation, then you're going to have more of a chance to maintain composure, maintain a little bit more of this emotional control. And the second point of this twofold idea is just the practical side of things. So in order to operationalize any of our habits, we need to do everything we can to simply just make the programming easier for lack of a better word. I mean, I don't really like to think of, you know, we're programming ourselves, but like, I guess in some ways we, we are what we want to do. I think this is one of the most fundamental ideas that you get from habit books is do everything you can to make a, make an unhealthy habit harder and everything you can to make a healthy habit easier. And a a great deal of research has been uh, put into that idea. And here's another one. Here's another one that, you know, we're not going to be too full of tips and recommendations here again, because you can get these. We understand fully from these habit books and plenty of research out there. But, but I do think this is a huge idea. It's not just about like saying, Hey, I'm going to make a little time to do this new habit. But I think Daniel Pink recently talks about it more a year ago when he came out with his book, when naming the win is huge setting that parameter, you know? So, um, so let's say, let's just take a very simple illustration of a healthy habit that you want to start. You want to start running. So to make the habit easier, you buy the shoes you want to run in, you keep them nearby, possibly in a place where you're going to see them and you're going to think about your commitment to running What else would you need to think about? You would need to be thinking, I need to stay hydrated. I need to think about uh, when am I going to eat? 
so that when I go out and run, I don't get cramps. Uh, I'm going to think about how much sleep I need. I'm going to maybe anticipate the weather. All of these questions boil down to when are you going to run? And I think, you know, obviously the same could be said of breaking an unhealthy habit. You know, you'll have to think through how you handle your stressors, the ones that trigger, you know, recently let's, let's use drinking because recently, uh, a couple of episodes ago, Shelly and I talked about how we were way drinking way too much for long periods of time. Finally wanted to, there was a win. (laughs) We were like, I do want to do something about this. I don't like how I don't feel as in control of this as I would like to. And so you, and there's a lot of reprogramming that you do have to do. And one of the, get the items, get the drinks out of your living space. And you'll have to think about what you'll do when someone else is drinking in front of you. Or invite you in a social situation right when you're maybe gaining some momentum with not drinking for a period of time. So there are these things that you'll need to anticipate. And that maybe even that those are how questions, maybe a little bit lower level. But all of it is, is about intentionality and thinking through making your habits easier. And finally, perhaps the most important question of all is why? We've heard a lot about it. Your aspirational goal, the why behind the habit or structure that you want to put in place or break. And so the second step then of that is to clarify what the habit is that you're trying to build and how you're going to do it. And then you are ready for the win. In some cases, Maybe the most potent habit you could form would be to pursue a habit of meditation or mindfulness. Perhaps that that is the missing part of your emotional growing, maybe mastering, having more mastery over your emotions. And maybe that is the aid that you need and to start or stop a lot of your habits, just being less reactive and a little bit more self-observing during times of stress. So overall, we've used a little bit of philosophy because, you know, it's got it's grown in popularity over the past few years. And thank goodness it has because, you know, it was never supposed to be about who's the best logician. You know, philosophy was never about like, I don't think it should be about who can, you know, sophistry, like who can best argue how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. And I don't think it was that way for the ancient Greeks. And I think there have been some really good um, thought leaders who have inspired these conversations. Aristotle was forming some high caliber lessons for life. And it's amazing to be thinking about, we're talking about him all of these centuries and now millennia later. And so I think there's a lot to take away here for you. A lot of practical wisdom that can show all of us how we can continue to grow in self-knowledge, but how also we must apply that knowledge in these fundamental ways, if it's to do us 
any good at all. And if you want to, if you're still struggling or you still need to connect with the community or uh, our coaching programs at Big Self School, please do reach out, out to us. Don't hesitate to call or click. <laughs> And uh, you, you know where to find us at BigSelfSchool.com. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode when Shelly rejoins the podcast. I'm sure that everyone is excited to hear that next week.